Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 130 of Just the Zoo of Us. On this week's episode, I talk with a passionate and experienced animal trainer about the relentlessly charming Tarakos. They are here to tell us all about what it's like to work with these spectacular little goofballs, how to win their hearts over with the power of berries, baby bird glow-ups, and the science behind their rainbow of brilliantly pigmented colors that really do make them actual living paintings. Just the Zoo of Us presents Tarakos with Erilyn Rudnick. friends. This is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here as usual with just the zoo of us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. Today, I am so excited to bring y'all a new friend. This is Erilyn Rudnick. Say hi, Erilyn. Hi, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited. You reached out to me recently to let me know that you work with a really, really cool animal that I've kind of like come across in my research for the show, but never had an excuse to really do a deeper dive into. So I'm so excited to talk about this animal with you today. Before we talk about our animal, let's talk about you a little bit. Erilyn, can you let our friends listening know like what kind of work you do with your animals and how you got into it? Yeah, okay, so I am an animal trainer and the owner of a dog training and pet care business called Paradise Paws, located in Chicago. Uh, And I do realize that has nothing to do with birds, and I swear (laughs) I can explain. I started my pet care business after I graduated from an amazing program called the Exotic Animal Training and Management Program at Moore Park College, or as we called it affectionately, the ETAM program. It's a really unique two-year undergraduate program that gives students the opportunity to learn hands-on zookeeping and animal training techniques in a real-life zoo setting. So in addition to studying the theories and science behind all of the animals in their care, the students are also responsible in some capacity or another for daily zoo operations. So they run the ticket booth, they do the shows, they feed the animals, they do really everything. They even answer the phones. And America's Teaching Zoo is located on the Moore Park College campus, so they have a lot of classes as well. And they have about 130 animals, give or take, at any given time on the campus. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot of animals uh, that the students are all responsible for the care and feeding of. And then when they graduate, they get a degree in exotic animal training and management. And they go off into the world of zookeeping, animal training, you name it. Pretty much every animal facility that I can think of has at least one Edom graduate Uh, working there or has worked there or volunteered there at some point in the past. Not every facility, obviously. Some don't have Edom students, but for the most part, they're <laughs> they're all around. They they get pretty far. They're at Guide Dogs for the Blind in California. Pretty much every zoo has one since they're so close. A bunch of my friends work at the San Diego Zoo. A bunch of them work at the LA Zoo, uh, Santa Barbara Zoo. Those are kind of the three that are closest to the program, but they're everywhere except Florida because there's actually the only other program in the country is in Florida. I think it's in Central Florida, isn't it? It is, yeah. 
I think it's Santa Fe, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Santa, Santa Fe. The Santa Fe one is more, as far as I understand, more towards zookeeping. Mm. And our program was more towards training. So we have a lot of classes on uh, like operant conditioning and stuff like that. Uh, and we cover so many things in the two years. It's it's really insane how much we cover. That is really interesting that they have like a whole entire educational institution yeah. just for teaching people how to work with animals. It's so cool. It's not a huge school. It likes it's about five acres, so it's a really small, a friendly zoo for kids to go to on the weekend. And they are open to the public on the weekends, so the students will run tours, the shows, the ticket booth, like I said. And then during the week, they all do their classes and take care of the animals. Their days start at 6.30 a.m. and end at 5. Okay. And for two years, it's a very long program, but it's so, so worth it. So when I was a student, I was an area lead in the Parrot Gardens area, which had a very special resident who was very close to my heart, Zeta the Red-Crested Taraco. Yes, okay. Okay, so this is the animal we're talking about today. We're talking about Taracos, which I am charmed by, but I don't know very much about. So I'm really excited to learn more about them today. Can you introduce us a little bit to what a Taraco is? Yeah, so the red-crested Taraco specifically is a relatively small bird about the size of a pigeon or a chicken found in Africa, most specifically sub-Saharan Africa and Angola. And they're really, really friendly, so they're usually found in aviaries and zoos. And despite their popularity, like most people, I had also never heard of them before I met one. It takes that chance encounter, right? You gotta mm-hmm. have your meat cute, <laughs> and Definitely. you fall in love for life. <laughs> On my first day in the program, when they were taking us uh, around the zoo to show us all of the animals, when we were in the classroom, I had actually seen one of her feathers on a desk. And I, in my head, I said, that feather, and they're beautiful iridescent feathers, I said, that must have come from the most beautiful bird in the world. (laughs) And I was right, I think, in my opinion. (laughs) That sounds so Shakespearean. I'm just letting you know, like, this sounds like the setup to like a romance novel where it's like, I saw a feather. Hey, I, w- I think I was right. She immediately stole my heart. I was like, who is that feather from? And they were like, that's from the Taraco Zeta. And they, they were like totally underwhelmed. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's just her. They're just like, oh, it's just a Taraco feather. And like a lot of people w- looked at them and they're like, they don't do a lot. I want to work with the parrots. I don't want to work with the little songbird type foresty bird. I, I want to work with the parrot that's you know going to go on stage. And she was also a little bit of an anomaly. She was 28 years old when she passed away last year. Whoa. (laughs) The life expectancy is supposed to be about five to nine. So she had tripled and almost quadrupled that, depending on how you count. Absolutely shattering expectations. (laughs) Completely shattered it. Yeah, she was hatched in 1994 to a very uh, respected animal trainer named Mr. Hubert Wells. He works in Hollywood and has a fondness for Taracos. And he donated her to America's Teaching Zoo to be an ambassador for her species. And she was actually in the movie The Parent Trap in 1998. What? No way! The the Lindsay Lohan (laughs) one. When they push Meredith, the like girlfriend of the dad, into the lake right. on the like inflatable bed, she's the little bird that lands on Meredith's chest and like wakes her up. Are you kidding? Even though that movie was supposed to be in Northern California and they're from <laughs> Africa, uh, 
that's my only qualm with it. But yeah, she was in a movie. <laughs> I think she was also in some other ones. I can't find a like solid list. Like I've heard she's maybe in Congo, which would make sense because they're from Africa at least. But I've never seen Congo, so I haven't watched to find her. It's probably a good call to use a Taraco because you said that they're pretty friendly little birds. Yeah, they're really friendly. It sounds like they respond well to training and they're gorgeous. So like, it sounds like it checks every box for a great like animal actor. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. They're not very loud. They've got little soft bills. They're soft billed birds. Uh, which doesn't really refer to the hardness of their bill, but I've been bitten. It doesn't hurt. Oh, is it like not sharp? It's not sharp. Uh, they kind of nibble to see if you're like fruit. And oh, sure. one of them tried to pick my freckle off every single day. And I was like, that's mine. You can't have it. <laughs> she would try anyway. Um, super cute. Just in case things had changed since Just the last time. Just in case time. since the last time, right? <laughs> yeah. The zoo still has three other Taracos that I also took care of. They've got a uh, pair of Lady Ross's Taracos and a white-cheeked Taraco. The white-cheeked Taraco is also like 26 or 27. His name is Buana. That's impressive. Yeah, so when they're in our care, we're able to extend that lifespan quite a bit, obviously, from that five to nine years. And some species, it's about uh, nine to 12. But in our care, they typically live up into their 20s. There was a record of a Taraco at a wildlife park in Europe, I think, that lived to 37. (sighs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Super cool. Are they related to parrots at all? Because the comparisons keep coming into my mind to parrots. Um, yeah. But are they are they related to them at all? Like, where do they fall in like the bird family tree? So they're closer related to the cuckoos, actually, and like the roadrunner. Oh, wow. We used to think that they were in the family Cuculiformes, which is the cuckoos. And then we ended up making their own family, which is Musophagiformes, which means the banana eaters. Oh. Yes, they got their own family. We've debated whether they were related to the Hoatzin. That was disproven, and it's it's a big mess. But we think that they're <laughs> their own their own family. There are twenty three members of the Taracos family, varying colors. Diverse little guys. Yeah. So they come in like four color groups. There's the green Taracos, which the red crested is a part of. There's the purple Taracos, which are the ones with more bluish violet bodies. Uh, And then there's the gray Taracos, which are the plantain eaters or the go-away birds. And then there's (laughs) the go-away birds. The go-away birds, yeah. They they have a sound that kind of sounds like, (laughs) Are you kidding me? That's hilarious. So sometimes it sounds like they're saying, go away. And they kind of got this blanket name for all of them, even though the red crested and like the green ones and the purple ones don't really make that sound. That's really the, the gray ones that do. So they just kind of all got assigned go away bird. And I was I would listen and I was like, they don't sound like they're saying go away. (laughs) It was I was meeting the wrong ones. A lot of times when I think ornithologists like describe the sounds that birds make with like onomatopoeias, they're kind of a stretch. (laughs) Yeah, it's a stretch. Although when you do hear the gray Taracos, they really do sound like they're saying go away sometimes. It's a little bit frightening. And you usually hear them before you see them, if you see them at all. So if you just had a like a tree in your garden and it was just telling you to go away, I think that would be pretty terrifying. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I would be like, yes, immediately. I will Imme- do so. I'll, I'll see myself out. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Duly noted. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Wish granted. <laughs> and then there's the blue Taraco, which is this really big, it's called the Great Blue Taraco. There's only one of them. And it's like twice as big as all the other ones. So it got its own genus and species. Oh, this is the one. So we were talking before I hit record for a little while. And you were showing me some feathers, some mm-hmm. Taraco feathers that you have. One of them being an absolute unit of a feather. <laughs> it's like a foot and a half long. <laughs> yes, this is a huge feather. And it's gorgeous, but it is also massive. I, yeah, it's it's very large. And it's a tail feather. And when I hold it next to the tail feather from the red crested Taraco, it's about four times as long. That's quite like the size variety among this little group of species. Yeah, for the most part, they're all about 18 inches long. And they measure that from the tip of their beak to the ends of their tails. But the great blue Taraco is like 30 inches long. Big boy. Big boys. And they weigh about two pounds, where the other ones weigh about half a pound to a pound. That's very chunky, especially for a bird, like a flighted bird. Yeah, they're not very good flyers. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) They're not. not. So I I think I should describe what they look like because they're very unique looking. Like I said, they're about 18 inches long as measured from the tip of their beaks to the end of their tails. And the red crested have this beautiful red crest that has the tiniest little bit of white on the top. People would always ask me if Zeta was graying or going gray. No. Oh, (laughs) Birds don't age the way we do, so they don't show their age. So even when she was 28 years old, she still looked like a sprightly young chick. (laughs) And they can actually raise that crest up to five centimeters, and they use it to communicate. It's usually up when they're excited or happy. It's like a little flag. It's like a little flag. It's so cute. And it's very prominent. You can see it like move, and it's, it's very impressive. Like a mohawk, sort of. Like a little mohawk, yeah. And they have these little white faces with reddish, orange, or brownish eyes. Some species of Turaco, like the white-cheeked, have a very pronounced fleshy eye ring that sometimes even turns into, like, little wattles. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the red-crested just has a little, like, very subtle little red eye ring. They've got a little tiny yellow bill that is used for tearing fruit, and their necks and chest are this beautiful green, like soft, velvety-looking green. Jade green, almost. Like a jade green that fades into this coppery, dark green on their uh, their covert feathers, which are the ones that cover their flight feathers. And their flight feathers are a little bit special. Their flight feathers are a bright crimson red, and you can't see it when they're sitting, you can't see it when they're uh, hanging out, but when they fly... Uh, you can see those bright red feathers, which they use to warn off predators. And their tails, which are about half the length of their bodies, they've got these really, really long tails, are blue. So they're from the top to the bottom, like all the way through the rainbow. Like red, yellow, green, blue. They don't have purple, but I can't fault them for that. They're not purple Tarakas. I guess if you look at them at the right angle, you might get a little purple in the iridescence. Yeah, you might get, although the blue is more of a blue-green. So Mm. when you tilt it in the light, the iridescence is like a blue to a green iridescence instead of a blue to purple. On the purple Tarako feathers, it is a blue to purple shift. It's quite visibly different. It's beautiful. You do get the whole rainbow on this bird and there's lots of like soft gradients from one color to the next which i really like (laughs) yeah they're really pretty and when the feathers molt out of the bird like you can tell where they were on the body just based on what color they were which is really cool so i i have a very large collection of taraco feathers that naturally molted off these birds while i was caring for them and just the difference in all of them is so so fascinating and knowing the science behind them which we'll get into in aesthetics um (laughs) there's some really cool stuff that they're doing with their feathers that no other birds do I so I pulled up some pictures 
pictures just to have something to look mm -hmm. at while you're describing them. Their face is almost, in some pictures, sort of dove-like, mm -hmm. you know, like a little short, dainty little beak like a dove. And in some pictures, it is a little chicken-like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So they've got they've got a lot of different beak shapes, like across the different Taraco species. They've got bigger, more um, pronounced bills that go all the way like up to their forehead. Some of them have the little dainty one, like the red crested. And then the weirdest part is that their mouth actually extends past their beak. So if you see pictures of red crested Taraco, it opens pretty wide, even though it's really small. Oh, I see a close up. It does have a little bit of a secret mouth. Yeah. So their mouths can open pretty big. Uh, when I was caring for Zeta, she once reached up onto a tree and grabbed an entire gigantic mulberry and swallowed it whole. And I was terrified. I was like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. <laughs> You're going to choke. But she was fine. Bonus mouth. <laughs> Bonus mouth. It looks a little bit freaky if you're not expecting it. Well, I mean, you wouldn't expect it from how little their beak is, but I, I see what you mean. Like looking up at an up close picture, you can definitely see that it keeps going. It, it does keep going. <laughs> Since you were talking about, you know, some of the science behind their adaptations and what they're doing with their body, let's talk effectiveness for the Taraco. Yes. If you've never listened to this podcast before, our whole shtick is that we rate animals out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. So first up is effectiveness, which for us is physical adaptations. So things built into the animal's body that let it do a good job of the stuff it's trying to do. What do you give the Taraco for effectiveness? All right. I gave them an eight. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. The one thing I have to say is despite all those really cool and colorful feathers, they're not good flyers at all. It's not starting off strong. <laughs> not starting off strong, but they make up for it by being really agile in the trees. So they've oh. got these short, rounded wings, and they fly in short bursts with these sort of uneven wing beats. So they're not good for long or sustained flight, but they're really good at hopping around the canopy in the evergreen forests where they uh, live. They love swinging branches and stuff like that. They love to bounce. They're very bouncy <laughs> birds. <laughs> I, I knew one named Bouncy before. They've got these really cool special feet that are adapted for this lifestyle, too. So are you familiar with uh, the term zygodactyl? You know, I've, it rings a bell in the sense that I think I've heard the word before, but I don't think I could produce a definition. <laughs> so so zygodactyl is the word for when a bird has two toes in the front and two toes in the back, and they use those feet kind of like hands to grab onto things so they can grasp and manipulate things like parrots. So Taracos are semi-zygodactylous, which means that they have one toe on each foot that can rotate front to back to help them get a better grip and balance. But they traded off the ability to hold food and manipulate objects with their hands for those. Mm, I see. So it's like they got the one toe that kind of floats back and forth. Yeah. A versatile toe. Yeah. I don't know why. I've never seen it like physically rotate, but I'm sure that they do. I'm sure they do it like really fast while they're running. They traded the ability to fly really well for the ability to just run really fast in the trees. Mm -hmm. uh, and they kind of use their wings. They'll like flap them out in weird ways to balance <laughs> and they'll use their tail and they look really silly when they run. But it's so cute. And I, I bet that that comes in handy when your main predator uh, flies really well. Their main predator is the African goshawk. 
Oh. So when your main predator can fly and see you really well, I, you know, I would also want to be able to run really fast. <laughs> right. And also, you know, if you're living in an area with a really sort of dense canopy, yeah, you know, like, I guess it makes more sense to be just kind of like saving energy by hopping from branch to branch instead of full yeah. on flying. Definitely. They And they live in like the mid to higher range of the trees. So they really just, they run up. They'll fly if they're going down, but they'll hop up. Because it's easier to fly going down. <laughs> mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that the name of their, was it their genus that means banana eater? Their family is. The family. Uh, yeah. So they eat mostly fruits, plantains is what they eat. There's a whole, the gray ones are often called plantain eaters. I think they eat mostly like wild fig and stuff like that. And the farmers aren't very fond of them because they're really common. They're not endangered. So it's kind of like having a bunch of these colorful pigeons come and like descend on your crops eat all your fruit and then fly off and they're really messy eaters they're fantastic seed dispersers so <laughs> oh i see okay that's great for the forest not great ideal for the for forests, <laughs> not for the farmers who have their figs and stuff eaten all the time and they can also eat like fruit that is otherwise toxic to us like i think oh, one really? of them is called like the bushman's poison oh my gosh and like certain variations of cycad they can eat which would like kill mammals so they're just like oh berries <laughs> They don't have that hesitancy of humans. Nope. It's like, ooh, let me check to make sure this berry isn't one of the kinds that will immediately kill me. <laughs> nope, they just, they don't care. They'll just eat them. I imagine that's good also for the berry too, right? Because the yeah. berry is relying on the bird for seed dispersal. Exactly. You want the seeds to be dispersed. So you make yourself bright and colorful. They obviously have very good color vision, like most birds do. They really like bright red and like purple fruits. So red grapes, blueberries, you name it. Although when I was taking care of them, they didn't really like pomegranates. Oh, really? I tried. I was like, you want some pomegranate? And they were like, I'd rather have that tasty grape. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Pomegranates are so high effort. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. It's like a six hour commitment. It's like, an activity. Yeah. You have to devote your entire afternoon to the pomegranate. <laughs> <laughs> it's an event. <laughs> Like, I get it. You know, sometimes you're like, why would I Why would I go to all this trouble when I could just grab a berry? It's right there. Yeah. And I don't know if it was because they were cold because I had pulled them out of the freezer or what, but they were just like, mm -mm, I don't want nope. these. I just want, the, I just want the, the grapes. I just want the banana. <laughs> they love banana, obviously, especially when it's really soft. And they will throw their food everywhere. They just... Oh, really? They When they're picking it up, they don't really you know try to control what they're picking up they just they just go and it goes everywhere so they're yeah the farmers aren't a big fan i get it <laughs> i get it too i get it you know when i in my days of working at a pet store that sold conyers mm. i would have to be really careful about the way that i painted my nails because <sighs> yeah if i painted my nails in a way that resembled the little like fruit treats we gave them oh no the the conyers would try to peel off my nails basically mm -hmm. like you know they would really go to town so yeah <laughs> was that something that you experienced <laughs> i found that out too i painted my nails um i actually painted them taraco colored i painted oh <laughs> i did a red to blue gradient um like with green in the middle across all the nails and yeah my fingers ended up in a taraco's mouth <laughs> <laughs> well because if you look if your fingers look like little berries they look like little fruits they would also go for like my jewelry if I was wearing any rings with like stones on it. They would try to mm -hmm. like pick them off. They'd be like tasty fruit, and I was like, no, not not tasty no. fruit. 
Please don't. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Although that was really useful when I needed to get them on a scale because I could lure them kind of with shiny objects. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> like I mentioned, they're not endangered. The IUCN red list uh, lists them as least concern. The only one species of Taraco that is endangered is called the Bannerman's Taraco. They were already like super rare and elusive, so there's just not a lot of them to begin with. And aside from the Bannerman's Taraco, they are relatively common. They fancy like gardens and like bird baths. I see I'm a member of the International Taraco Society and I see people post pictures like, look what's in my garden. And it's like a <laughs> bunch of Taracos in their like bird bath hanging out. But there isn't a lot on the red crested Taraco specifically because mm. they are from Angola and Angola is currently at war. So it's very difficult to access their native range and research them over time. And we know so much about them in our care that no one's really going out and being like, I need to look for Taracos today. Yeah. Re like I said, they're really common. Like they're just in people's backyards. <laughs> We're like fawning over them. I wonder if like for people that live there where the Taraco <laughs> is common, they're like, oh my gosh, you are oh, really going tarakos. on about... It's like the way we look at like grackles. Like if somebody was like really going nuts over like, you know, the grackles in their backyard, we're like, oh, really? I love grackles. When I went to Houston, I constantly, I was like a grackle. I was so excited. <laughs> But we have grackles here where I live and nobody knows what grackles are, like in general, you know, like they're just like, oh, these are those loud birds. <laughs> well, they think they're crows, right? Oh, like they, they do they look, look very like crow like. Yeah. So if somebody points at them and they're like, oh, look at those crows. And I'm like, oh, I think those are grackles. They're like, what, is, I, I, what, is, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. But I wonder if people who live where Taracos are like an everyday sight. They're like, really? These guys? One of my classmates was actually from Zimbabwe. And I was like, do you just have Taracos like in your backyard? And she was oh, like, we, yeah. have the, we have the plantain eaters and like some of the mm. violet ones, I think she said. I was like, I'm so jealous. I want to go to your house in Zimbabwe. Hey there, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we are going to talk ingenuity and aesthetics for Taracos, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Our comedy podcast, Jordan Jesse Go, just celebrated its 15th anniversary. It was a couple months ago, but we forgot. Uh, yeah, completely. Our, our silly show is 15 years old. That makes it old enough to get its learner's permit. And almost old enough to get the talk. Wow, I hope you got the talk before then. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. Our show's not one of them. We're never changing and you can't make us. Jordan, Jesse, go the same forever at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tights and Fights. A back-dropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host Danielle Radford. Time to kick butt and chew gum, and I'm all out of butts. Lindsay Cow. I'm a brutal Brit, and my fists were made to punch and hit. And Hal Loblin. I was doing the voiceover this whole time. Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures. And make fun of its weekly absurdities. On the Perfect Wrestling Podcast. Tights and Fights. Every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on Maximum Fun. You were talking about 
them responding to training and things that mm -hmm. you were, you know, doing to, to work with them. It sounds like they respond pretty well to, you know, instruction and training. So I wanted to get a little bit into ingenuity for the Taraco. Yeah. Um, so for us, ingenuity is behavioral adaptations. These are things an animal is doing with their body to solve problems that they face or, you know, give them an advantage in some way. What would you give the Taraco for ingenuity? As much as I really hate to give them a low score in anything, I think I have to give them a four. I struggled a lot with this one. <laughs> They're not particularly intelligent birds. <laughs> I think that you have worked enough with them that you have the right to say that. <laughs> and and maybe it's due to the fact that we just don't know all that much about their behaviors in the wild. And we True. might be missing a lot of cool stuff that they do. But they just, every single time I tried to come up with something, it fit better into effectiveness than it did here. So I have something, but it feels like it's a bit of a reach. That's valid. <laughs> so they use their red uh, wing feathers, their flight feathers, as a warning to unwanted guests. So when somebody comes up to them and threatens them or they are startled, they'll puff up and they'll extend these wings out with a very like loud, growly kind of vocalization. They've been oh. they've been compared to like forest monkeys sometimes, and it's kind of like a low like. Oh, that was a really Ooh. bad one, but no, you you nailed it. <laughs> it's like, like like I don't even know how to do it, but it's intended to frighten off the predators, and it probably works really well in the wild. But like we just think it's really cute. Oh, they're trying, <laughs> and and their idea of what's scary is a bit silly. Like in our in our care, I once saw her do a threat display at a child in a pink shirt. Oh no. And then again at my friend who was wearing pink glasses like a few days later. So we think she didn't like the color pink maybe. Interesting. She also hated clipboards and would alarm call if you brought a clipboard near her. So Same. <laughs> Same. You come at me with a clipboard? Absolutely not. Turn I don't around. want that. I don't want it. No. Whatever it is, I don't want any part of it. Yeah. She also like thought that a drone was a bird coming to get her and freaked out. I absolutely understand where I she's going with that one. <laughs> that one makes sense. I get it, yeah. So that one looked like a scary bird. But yeah, their idea of what's threatening is a little silly. Like, they'll just threat display at anything. Yeah, and that would be surprising with a bird that's, like, grown up in human care, you know? Like, that they haven't gotten used to it by now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you've, you've never seen a clipboard before? Like, there's literally one in the room that we go in every day to hang out. Like, <laughs> And they don't have, like, they can't attack, really. They can kind of blindly scratch at stuff with their sort of sharp nails but they're not at all like predator birds or anything they they're not hunters they they just eat fruit yeah i guess if your primary target is a motionless <laughs> inanimate object you know something that you're not exactly going to have to pull off any sort of outsmarting to get yeah to. occasionally they'll like they'll dig for grubs and stuff okay. like that but it's nothing that's fast nothing that's gonna get away from them and that's really a very very minor part of their diet um sometimes they eat like leaves but mostly just fruit i mean that's what i would eat if i was a bird that sounds awesome yeah so all you need in a brain is the ability to process the fruit that you need to eat and <laughs> one piece of information and that is eat fruit yeah it, they don't have much else going on behind those eyes they're it's <laughs> <laughs> like are you a fruit or perhaps a berry <laughs> no okay head full of berries <laughs> head full of berries yeah they love them and that is 100% the way to a Taraco's heart is just bring them berries. I mean, I feel like I'm relating to a lot of these points I also hate clipboards and love berries <laughs> like I can't <laughs> 
I feel like I'm seeing a lot of myself. <laughs> and they do have that really cool um, alarm call. And I'll play a little recording of that for you here. So you can see this is what they use to scare off. This is a recording of two of them singing together. I love how they sync up. <laughs> <laughs> Something that we like to look at in the ingenuity section is how the animal interacts with other members of its species. Like if it's a social animal or a solitary animal, is this something that you got a chance to experience with your Turacos or is it something they don't do in captivity? Yeah. So I didn't experience it just because the exotic animal training and management program isn't a breeding facility, but I did go to the Houston zoo where they have a very large breeding population of Turacos and I got to talk to a bunch of them and that was super cool. They live in pairs or in small family groups of about 10 individuals. So they are monogamous and they will stay with the one partner unless they disappear or die and then they will find another one. So they're not for life like some birds. And then they build these really terrible nests, much like pigeons, <laughs> that are kind of just sticks and they're like flat and they're not very good. Twig on branch. <laughs> Twig on branch, exactly. And then the two Tarakos will regurgitate food into each other's mouths kind of as a flirt. How romantic. It's super gross. And then when they do lay an egg, they'll lay about two to three at a time, usually, and they're about the size and shape of a ping pong ball. And then the parents raise the chick together. And then when the chicks come out, they're these really ugly black puff balls that look nothing like their parents. <laughs> I love a good ugly chick. That, like... oh, I love them. They're so ugly. They're they're horrendous. They look nothing like adults. I, I can't even describe how ugly the babies are. Well, I bet Google can. Let's see what comes <laughs> up. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no, is right. What happened? And then they get their colors as they mature over a few weeks. So it's I think it's about six weeks or so before they start showing it. Okay, this is not the ugliest baby bird I've ever seen. <laughs> but it's not great. It's not great. One of the stories that I was told about Zeta, I actually met the woman who hand reared her back in the 90s when I was like a little child. And she said that when they came out, they joked that the babies were from the milkman. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and they gave they gave her the the original name Maziwa, which uh means milk in Swahili. Oh. And then when she moved to America's Teaching Zoo, they changed it to Zeta. Um <laughs> As a kindness. <laughs> and I, I asked the story behind that, and I think it was just because the staff who named her was liked sororities or something and was like, Greek alphabet, sure. Oh, sure. I will say some of the pictures of the Taraco chicks that are a little bit older so that they're nice and fluffy. <laughs> yeah. That's cute. Yeah. They're really cute after a while. <laughs> yes. They grow into it. They grow it. into it's it. It's a real glow up. It's one of the most intense glow ups that I've ever seen. Uh <laughs> It is a complete turnaround, honestly. It, yeah, from black to, like, iridescent is quite a change. They're just these little ugly babies, and then they grow up into the most beautiful birds. And I know that I'm super biased, because there's, like, 10,000 birds, <laughs> and everybody who uh, is a bird scientist of some kind has a favorite bird and thinks it's the best. Yeah, but they're not on the microphone right now, so I can deal with it. 
not their time to shine right now. This is about the Taraco. They can get in line. One of the pictures I'm looking at is really cute. It's a looks like a juvenile maybe Taraco, and the back half of its body looks like an adult. So it has those like iridescent <laughs> oh, yeah, blue they feathers start to grow in on the back and like the wings. And it's it, like working its way forwards. <laughs> right. This weird like in between. It looks like you took a different bird's head and just like pasted <laughs> like, it on. Pasted it on. It looks like it's not a head from the same animal because the head looks like this scraggly little little mess of a baby bird and it's like stuck on like this absolutely gorgeous turquoise green body it's a mess it'll get there i know you're working on it. it's okay you're on your way got some growing to do i know you're, you'll get there though i believe in you i'm rooting for you my friend they really have a true like pokemon evolution i, I want them to have a pokemon and they should but they don't Oh, they should. They would make such a good Pokemon. They would. Since you mentioned that, like, they have so many different color palettes, basically. Like, you could do, like, the same Pokemon in, like, multiple types. Right. It would be so cute. You could be like, this is the grass type. This is the water type. This is the fire type. Like, you could have a region where the starters are just three different Turacos. I would love it. I would play that game so hard. I would play constantly. I would never stop. My big claim to fame with bird Pokemon is when they released the design for Hisui Braviary. <laughs> My partner showed it to me and he said, he said, look at this, uh, look at this design for Braviary. And I said, is that a stellar sea eagle? It is. <laughs> and it 100% is. And I got the right bird like to the like region even that they were trying to emulate. I hadn't put that together until you said that, but you're 100%. It's 100% a stellar sea eagle. Yeah, that's absolutely what that is. See, they can give the Stellar Sea Eagle a Pokemon, give the Taraco a Pokemon already. Exactly. They're so colorful, and the closest is Pikapek. Oh, yeah. They're also closely related to toucans, not by phylogeny, but they are also soft bill birds and are uh, susceptible to a lot of the same things in our care, like iron storage disease, which is super nasty. And if you feed them a diet too high in vitamin C, I believe it is, so like citrusy fruits, they tend to store a lot of that iron in their body because they don't have a way to process it. And then they end up just kind of dropping dead. And toucans and taracos both have this problem as well as like minas and I think starlings. They're susceptible to it. But if you feed them the right diet, it's not a problem. Something that you brought up before we hit record is that the baby taracos have that little hook on their wings. Yeah, so they use that to climb along the branches kind of as an added because they're not really that good at running through the branches yet. Is it just when they're a baby or do they still have it when they're grown up? Yeah, they get rid of it as they as they get older. They don't keep that. They're not very good at like manipulating their wings in the way that like parrots are. So they don't really extend them out and up just for fun. Oh, sure. <laughs> they extend them down sometimes to like stretch, but that's really it. Yeah, you said that they have, like, short wings anyway, so... Yeah, they're, like, short and round, too, so they're really just not good for anything except balancing and short flight. For the babies, though, that's a good tool to have in your belt, though. Yeah, I wouldn't want to fall out of the tree if I couldn't fly back up. Yeah, but it's like, you know, if you do fall, you'll be all right. You can climb back up. It's okay. You have options. Like uh, like a grappling hook. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because I had mentioned the Taraco during the Watson episode because the Watsons also had those little, like, 
claw hook things on their wings. Yeah. Um, prompting me to wonder if the Watsons were related to the Tarakos, but as you have told me, they are not. Yeah, we, we used to think so. We used to think they were. And that makes sense. I would also make that conclusion if I was looking at a bird with a hook on its claws. I would say, hey, that's probably related to that other bird we saw. I know, convergent evolution really likes to throw you for loops. <laughs> yeah, like emus have a nail like on their wing still that is just there and just kind of hangs out and it's these little vestigial things so <laughs> just in case you need to like stab somebody real quick yeah they're useless now but keep your options open yeah just have the option for it <laughs> <laughs> i also took care of an emu and trained an emu in the Eden program so i would love to like be up close and personal with her she one. wanted to murder me every day and i loved her to death that sounds so on brand for everything I've heard <laughs> about them. Emu. I've always heard that they have that kind of vibe. Yeah, they really do have that kind of vibe. And I think it was just because my glasses were shiny and she wanted to like bite them. Don't like that. Oh, yeah, it was just her coming at my face and it was like, "No, no, no. We're not going to we're not going to bite my eyeballs today." Don't like that thing. Since we were talking about, you know, the transition from the sort of scrappy-looking Taraco chick to the full-blown, beautiful, elegant Taraco adult. Let's talk aesthetics yes. for this bird. I think that we've already shown our hand. I think <laughs> I have a good idea of what you're going to give the Taraco. But just for the formality, what do you give them for aesthetics? Am I allowed to give them like 100 out of 10? Cause yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Go for it. This is your podcast. <laughs> These guys are just the most beautiful little birds. They're, like I said, they're like living rainbows. They also have, like I, I teased earlier, a really unique and special trait in their feathers that no other bird can really claim. So they have true red and green pigments in their feathers. So what does that mean? So most birds that have red and green pigments, like macaws, for example, use structural coloration, where these little tiny structures on their feathers uh, reflect certain colors of light, like butterflies. Butterflies do it as well. They kind of trick you into seeing that color on the bird. But if you look at it like under a microscope, it's actually just like a brown or black feather with these little tiny structures on them that are reflecting the light. Taraco feathers have actual pigments in them. Uh, the red one is called Turrison, and the green one is called Taraco Verdon. Are those named after the bird? They are named for the bird, ah! yeah. Um, and the colors are actually copper pigments, so that's why they are so metallic and iridescent, and why it showed up on the camera earlier. Whoa! Because they actually have copper in them. It's a copper uh, substance called porphyrin, or europorphyrin, and it's also found in some mollusks and, like, lizards and stuff. Wow. So it doesn't just look metallic, it is metallic. It is metallic, <laughs> yeah. And it's estimated that an adult Taraco may contain up to 8 grams of the copper and 25 grams of the porphyrin in their entire plumage. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And the red pigment, Turrison, has a special property that the green one, the Taraco Verdin, doesn't. It's water-soluble. Oh. So it can be washed out of the feathers either. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the bird or off the bird. So that has led to some really interesting discussions over the years, like the ancient African stories of these birds like dripping this like blood red color from their feathers in the rain, mm. which now we know it doesn't come out that much. Uh, oh. What most likely happened was they witnessed them bathing and boy do these guys love to bathe <laughs> like all that they love it it's their favorite activity and once again same like 
I love baths. They're, They're great. absolutely speaking to me directly. <laughs> and sometimes when they bathe quite uh, enthusiastically, they will leave behind like a pink puddle in the water. And it happens sometimes in our care too. It's very rare. It usually doesn't wash off on the bird itself, but it can happen. Like a story of a, uh, I think he was a man in the Victorian era who had added a couple to his collection and then they were suddenly devoid of color. And he was like, what happened? Where did it go? And my classmates would always tell me and always tell zoo guests that the color would just come out in like regular water if you just stirred it. And I tried it and it didn't work. So I did like a deep dive and I found an artist pigment blog (gasps) that had written an entire paper. And it's one of my favorite papers called Turrison, the most unlikely of pigments to never be used by artists. (laughs) (laughs) And I read through that and I, I tried to emulate some of the older techniques for pulling out the pigments. And they said if you added an alkali like soap or something, maybe like vinegar, that you could get the color to come out uh, a bit faster. I tried it and I had no success. And then I left the the jar for like a year and then I came back and it was bright pink. So I don't know what happened. (laughs) I don't know what I did wrong. Uh, I did something wrong. Probably I was trying to extract it and make a watercolor paint. Yeah, because that would have been my first thought. Like, can I paint with this? Can I make watercolor? So I actually tried with the pink water and there wasn't enough pigment in the pink water Mm -hmm. to actually make a paint. So I'm going to try to maybe concentrate it again. If anyone knows anything about paint. (laughs) Please reach out to me and tell me how to do it because I don't know how to make paint. Let's crack this case. Yeah, let's figure (laughs) this out. (laughs) Does the pigment just like grow back naturally? Like how does it replenish its redness? They're the most bright when they first grow the feather and then uh, it'll fade over time until they molt it out and grow a new one. Oh, I see. I guess like a bird molting is not something I'm super familiar with. Do the feathers just fall out and grow new ones? Yeah, so they kind of just plop out or sometimes they'll pluck them if they're really damaged Mm. um, and then they grow a new one. It's kind of like growing hair. Once it's fully grown, it doesn't have any like blood supply. So then it could just pop off. But while it's growing, it does have a blood supply and it's like firmly attached to the bird and it grows out and they get the color that way. And then once it's grown, it doesn't change unless it gets damaged in any way until it falls out. It sounds a lot like the struggle of dyeing your hair like bright pink (laughs) and then you wash it and all the dye comes out and you have to wait until it grows back in. Definitely. If their feather on their body loses all of its color, they have to grow a new one (laughs) before they get any color back. Yeah, they can't just add color, which is if you look at flamingos that are another example of something that is actually colored. They're pink, although their pink is a little bit different. It's not copper based. It's from the food that they eat. And with each molt, they get a darker coloration. Mm, Because it's like setting into the fat, right? Right. It's like the pigment is like deposited into the fat beneath their feathers. So then when the feathers grow through, they're just getting more and more of it. Yeah. So it's a little bit different than that. But it's it's very similar where they can't make a color on a feather that's already grown. They have Mm -hmm. to grow a new one to put more color into it. Oh, man, I wouldn't have thought that like it would be something that could just like wash out (laughs) yeah it just but only the red not the green the green is not water soluble unfortunately because it would be so cool to make like green paint too but yeah the red (laughs) the red can come out and you'll see sometimes on like older feathers from these birds that they're a little faded sometimes on the edges or like even sometimes while they're on the bird they'll be faded and it's usually the edges first so if they have little white edges you can tell that they were probably bathing a little bit too excitedly (laughs) 
<laughs> and then the green ones over time will uh, the copper will like oxidize and they'll get a little bit darker. <gasps> Oh, like the Statue of Liberty. Exactly. They'll get a, yeah, they, <laughs> so they can darken over time. Did you see that happening in Zeta's feathers? Uh, not often. She she didn't tend to bathe as much or as like aggressively as some do. Like the Lady Ross's Tarakos, they liked showers better than baths. So I would give them showers and they would go full into like bathing and they would like smack their head down oh, like no. so excitedly, like into the water. They were like, yes, love this. <laughs> give it to me. Um, So she wasn't like super enthusiastic about it like that. She didn't like, I would like mist her and like take care of her feathers. And none of the feathers I have from her are faded. And I'm like, I, I don't want to pull the color out of them. I actually right. have a collection that was gifted to me that I have for pulling color out. Uh, from birds that I don't know personally. They're from the, the Houston Zoo. They were very generous and gave them to me in the hopes oh. of me <laughs> figuring out how to pull the color from them. I was like, I want to figure this out. Can I just, if you've got extras, can I have them? And they were like, yeah, sure. Oh, man. Well, if any artists who are uh, familiar with making their own paints uh, have any tips, <laughs> yeah, let us know, because I would be really interested to know if that's because they, they have such a beautiful color to them. I want to make a painting of Zeta. It's kind of like in like Photoshop or something, how you can take the eyedropper tool and just <laughs> yeah. like select an existing color and use that color. It would be like doing that in real life. Well, that's still such like such a unique thing to be able to say like, oh, yeah, this painting was made from a pigment <laughs> that comes from a bird's feathers. It's so cool. I just feel like that's so charming. I love it. Do you have any like really special Taraco stories? When I was working with Zeta, um, so the the program we have to go through a lot of classes before they really allow you to handle any animals. And it just popped up on my Facebook that three years ago today, yesterday actually, was the first time that I ever got to hold Zeta. And have her step up onto my hand and oh. take her out for a meet and greet with the public. So I thought that was very serendipitous that that happened <laughs> like today. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cool. I love when a bird steps up onto you and they have just like, they're so light and they're so gentle and dainty. And they're oh. so warm too. Yes, <laughs> it's so sweet. And she wasn't a big fan of touching, but through a lot of work with her, because I worked with her for over a year, mm -hmm. um, I was able to get her to the point where she I, I actually trained a wing manipulation behavior so that the vets could draw blood from her from her wing oh, so wow. that was hard because she didn't like to be touched and their wings don't extend the way that like parrots do and, and again they're not easily trainable but they do, you know, they like people and they're very friendly and they're very popular like community aviary birds because they're nice. <laughs> There's a lot of private aviculturists who take care of Taracos. They're for a bird keeper. They're a good beginner uh, soft bill bird to keep. They're relatively low maintenance and they live a long time and they're not really loud or aggressive or anything. So for somebody who's just starting up like their aviary, it's a great choice. And they do well with like birds that live like on the ground, like cranes. America's Teaching Zoo actually has two that live with a with a crane. Mm -hmm. And because they both occupy different spaces in that exhibit, it works really well. Oh yeah, they leave each other alone, huh? They leave each other alone. The Taracos are up in the trees. They might come down to bathe every so often, but the crane lives on the ground and doesn't go up in the trees to bother them. They have an understanding. <laughs> <laughs> they can get really aggressive when they're mating or if they're, uh, sometimes they're territorial. So they don't do well together oftentimes unless they're like a proven pair and they can get very, very aggressive towards each other in, in human care. They actually tried to house Zeta with Buana, the white cheek Taraco, and he just
just like he went after her and they were like that's not gonna work no <laughs> not happening. he doesn't like her they tried people asked they're like why don't they live together it's like yeah he didn't like her yeah i mean if they're not feeling it they're not feeling it it's if not, they're not worth feeling it. it they're not feeling it do not force it because it's not gonna exactly. work out <laughs> I feel like I have gained such a deep appreciation for this charming little bird. I feel like charming is just like the all around perfect word. Because I feel like everything you've said so far has just been like charming. Very delightful. They're so cute. Yeah, they're very delightful little guys. Just adorable little empty headed, blissful little guys. (laughs) Looking for fruits and berries. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. Before we wrap up today, I would love it if you could let our folks listen listening know like what you've been up to lately if there's anything like do you want people to follow you on social media stuff that you're working on or involved with that you want people to know about just like what can people leave here with yeah so as i mentioned in the beginning i'm now a dog trainer and the uh, co-owner of a pet care business called paradise paws where my partner and i offer affordable options for a lot of different pet care services mainly in-home pet sitting and obedience training for mostly puppies we do adult dogs too uh, and we have a spiffy new website that we made like two days ago uh, it's fresh <laughs> <laughs> called paradisepaws.org where you can see a list of everything we do and can schedule consultations with us we mainly work in the chicago area uh, and you can also find links to all of our current social media there since we sometimes change them with the times and i've also been told that all the cool kids are using tiktok these days <laughs> so i have a tiktok which is at paradise.paws and you can hang out there if you want to see cool dog videos. I try to I try to make a lot. I'm also writing an interactive bullet journal style book called So You Got a Dog. Now what do you do? <laughs> and it's a book that will help new dog owners navigate and keep track of all of the complicated parts of dog ownership in one convenient place. It's cutesy, it's fun, and I've done a lot of really silly dog drawings that I'm super excited for everyone to see. <laughs> I'm really proud of how it's turning out and I expect that it will be released some time late 2022 uh so if that sounds like something you'd be interested in please stay tuned and we'll hopefully have pre-orders up for that sometime over the summer it's mostly based on the questions that my clients have asked me repeatedly the ones that i get like all the time sure this is your faq section yeah and it's all just going to be in one and and we're debating on whether it's going to be print or ebook or both we're figuring that out now it's it's mostly finished and coming soon <laughs> that's so exciting congratulations you. on your upcoming book <laughs> can't wait to see it well thank you so much for your time and your knowledge and your love for tarakos which i feel like has been effective spread here today that's the goal talk to me about tarakos i will always i will always talk and i'm so glad that you have talked about them to me because now i get to go forth and talk about tarakos in turn and just grow exponentially the tarako army (laughs) yes thank you so much for your time it's been a delight and we will talk to you later erilyn thank you so much Thank you all so much for listening, friends. I really hope that the Tarako has won you over, not unlike a nice juicy berry. If you liked what you heard today, it would really mean a lot to us if you could please leave us a good review on your podcatcher, like listener Colin, who left a lovely review over on Podchaser that I found very moving and we really appreciated it. Thank you, Colin. You can connect with us on social media or shoot us an email at ellen at just the zoo of us dot com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear about. 
We would like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones that you heard promos for here today. You can check them out and learn more about the network over at MaximumFun.org. While you're there, pop in for a membership, sign up to support us and the rest of the shows on the network. Finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our funky, fresh theme music. That's all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.